Welcome to a brand new episode of the Sunday Sauce. Uh, I have an interesting man here. He's not a politician. He's just a normal guy who did run for politics. A lot of you won't know him, but he's a friend of mine. This is Joe Ween. Hold on. Let me read this guy's resume. It's, it's so impressive that you guys are, aren't even going to believe. He was a corporal in the Marines in the first Gulf War. Um, <laughs> he was a deputy chief of staff and, and uh, a councilman to Jay Donovan, to Councilman Jay Donovan. He's uh, in the U.S. State Department, Blackwater High Threat Protection. He was in, worked for BP uh, at the oil spill, state security supervisor, BP Gulf of Mexico, regional security coordinator. Um, also, I believe, did you do uh, Iraq or Afghanistan, Joe? I did both. I was in Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, that's, that is a, that's a resume. Let me tell you, Joe. Welcome. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing all right. You know, uh, I'm just happy to be here. Another day in uh, another day above ground is always a good, good day. That's right. That's right. Um, so the reason why I asked uh, you on here today, because you have very um, extensive knowledge on the on the oil crisis going on. And because, uh, you know, you work for BP, like I mentioned, so you can really educate our viewers or listeners, I should say, on what, you know, why is oil expensive, what can be done. And, you know, a lot of people say, just turn on the pipeline, turn on the pipeline. But it's really not that simple. You explained this to me the other day when we were hanging out. So why don't you give your insight on the uh, the oil crisis we have right now? Yeah, you, you, you know, Mike, it, it really is. I had the pleasure of working around some really intelligent uh, folks at BP, both on the oil spill side of the house, which is where I went to first work for them was responding to the, uh, you know, the uh, oil spill response and then working in their Gulf of Mexico region for about four years. So I really was around some really intelligent folks that know a lot more about this than I do, but they educated me a lot on this. So even on the security end, you really learned about, you know, you have your upstream and down, downstream, they call it. Downstream would be the refining. Upstream would be the exploration and production end. So, you know, I, we've, we've run into this oil crisis before. I'd say the worst fuel crisis prior to this that we had was in the seven, seven, 70s, right. uh, Jimmy Carter's admin, administration. And once again, dude, I'm not passing any judgment on Jimmy Carter or Obama or Trump, just yeah. to give you a reference of time. Right. Um, I was a little kid and I remember waiting in the gas lines. You know, a lot of that, what you see going on now, you saw go on back then, high inflation. Uh, we were dependent on the Middle East for a lot of our oil. We were, you know, importing a ton of our oil. And when the source that you're relying on cuts it off, obviously the price is going to go up. You know, a lot of the, if I remember correctly, the price of oil is all in futures, right? So if there's oil, we're energy independent, like we were in the last administration, the oil is not going to be as expensive, right? Because there's, there's, there's a lot of it, there's plenty of it. And the future production is being estimated at X amount. Now, our, uh, there's been a lot of, in the new administration, a lot, a lot, a lot of federal regulations put on the changing of how long a company has a lease for, importing more oil from Russia, um, mm -hmm. who obviously there are some issues there right now. So once again, we've, in a very short time, shifted from being energy independent 
to being dependent on a lot of foreign oil and reducing our own uh, output here at home. So naturally, when the war starts in the Ukraine, I think Putin has given us about 500,000 bar barrels a day, which doesn't seem like a significant amount, but that on top of the reduced production at home, naturally people think, and rightfully so, think the price is gonna go up. So the more oil they start to buy, the price is gonna go up. It's the supply and demand thing. So the futures market sees, hey, we're selling at 160 a barrel, 170 a barrel. So they're gonna start buying a lot at that, which is gonna drive the price up even more. Um, and, and there's a number of reasons why, uh, like I could say, people think exploring and drilling and producing oil is a very simple thing. That it's just a bunch of folks going around onshore or offshore, sticking a pipe in the ground and oil comes out and there it is. Uh, but it is a very long process, a very complex uh, process. And um, now nowhere near as easy as anybody thinks. Did you tell me the other day when we were hanging out, if that pipeline, the Keystone pipeline was turned on, it would take about roughly nine months to even get any oil. Is that true? Okay. You said? So that was about a well. And if you want, we a well, right. a bit right. on the exploration yeah, yeah. and about the deep water. So basically deep water, Mike, is anything that's in 2000 plus feet of water. Okay, you have some shallow water where the platform can actually, uh, some of them call it a, a jack-up rig, I believe. You know, it's been a while since I spoke about this, so I may be a tiny bit off, but I'm in the ballpark for sure. So any type of platform or, uh, or rig that can actually touch the seafloor and anchor itself to the seafloor or shallow water, anything that cannot touch the ground, about 2,000 feet plus, then has to float is considered a deep water um, uh, platform or rig. The majority, and in fact, I think almost all the wells, uh, major producing wells in the Gulf of Mexico, Mexico now are all in deep, deep water. And I know when I worked at BP, the majority of our platforms were in five to 7,000 feet of water. So that means you have a platform positioned up top and it's a ship that's kind of standing there and it, it has subsea, it goes all the way down to the floor, uh, the ocean floor. And that's where all the, uh, as I would say, the magic starts to take place, right? You have to, it, it's a lot, a lot of work. I mean, for basically, right? You have to get your basic geology down. So um, basically what that is, is a sonar blueprint or mapping of a region, all right? The Gulf of Mexico is very mapped. Right, and there's a sonar that you can actually tow behind the ship and it will send sound waves down into the earth and they bounce back up. And basically, uh, you know, you measure that and you decipher that. You can lay some seismic fields down actually on the seabed, I believe, right? All remotely done. The technology is just incredible, all right? And you create what's called a sonar field and you get all this information being fed up through the sonar and then you have to decipher it. And this is where your geologists and maybe some physicists, geophysicists come into play. And they try and decipher and say, okay, what do we think is there? So a lot of this inf information in the Gulf of Mexico is already mapped. So a company will go to like BP or Shell or Exxon will go to a company and say, hey, we need the information about block one, one, two, three, right? Because the way the government will lease it out, at least in the Gulf of Mexico is in blocks. And if I remember, 
it was a three mile by three mile block. That's the, 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 the size of each block that you bid on, right? So once you basically have that, your people sit down there and they look at it and they analyze it and they say, what do we think is there? What does this say? Um, and, you know, there's a small window of when you have a time to do all this stuff. See, when you used to bid on a block, the feds would lease it to you for at least 10 years. Uh, I think the current administration, the Biden administration, reduced that to seven years. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why that's significant and why it hurts production down the road, which is actually another big reason why the prices are starting to go up. So you get an acquisition company, they help you develop this. You look at your sonar, you look at your print, you look at your readouts, you look at production of other wells in that area, and then you start to develop your bid, right? Now, this process that I just said to you, right, which is like your pre-lease time, this is about a three-year process, right? Deep water drilling is very expensive and very precise and very technical. So you want to make sure, for, for lack of a better term, that all your ducks are in the row. And this is a worthwhile thing for you to do. So you're looking at almost a three-year process for this, right? So let's say you go, you put in your bid, and you get the bid. Uh, now you, you have it. It used to be for 10 years. Like I said, now it's seven years. Um, now you might want to shoot more size, seismic. You might want to draw your exploratory wells. The exploratory wells are to see kind of what's there, right? Um, It's to evaluate what's in the ground, what you're going to drill through. Um, Even if when you first drill through, you you don't hit the reservoir, it's dry, you still gain a lot of data. You have a core sample, which tells you what earth is in there. You might hit water, you might hit some oil, you might hit all these things. So once again, this is all being... Uh, looked at that is being analyzed and is seeing what you might what you might hit what you might not hit and where you should drill next okay so this process once again mike is very long we're already at three to four years at this time right right? Right. so the uh the uh, term they might use is called when you spud like a potato i think that's where it comes from when it Mm -hmm. spuds right until you reach the total depth so that means you've drilled you have your well in place and you drill down into the well. That's the total depth. Now these wells, Mike, just aren't like four or five feet in the ground or a hundred feet in the ground. They could be three to five miles deep, Wow! right? So everyone thinks that you're gonna drill down a few hundred feet and there's your oil. Well, that's not the truth. You know, the oil could be, they say like 20 to 30,000 feet deep, which is about three to five miles deep. And you have to avoid things. You could twist and turn this pipe. You might hit rock formations. You might hit salt. So it's very com- complex. So once you have your well down there, right, and you have these exploratory wells drilled, that's and this is all done on a drill ship, right? It's not a platform. They're very specific in the industry, the difference between the two, right? The drill ship drills wells. The platform is where the people go out there and live out there and actually produce the oil from the well and maintain the well and the riser. The riser is kind of a pathway between the platform and the seabed. Mm-hmm. Once you get down there, you know, you have, as you might recall, your blowout preventer called your BOP, which they have two now. 
because since the BP, um, you know, Macondo spill, mm -hmm. they want you to have two and then you have your well. So um, you cut your rig loose and you now have this one single point, right? Where, where you are entering into the reservoir. But here's the whole thing about this. You don't know exactly where you are in the reservoir. Are you dead center on it? Are you on the edge of it? So you might have to drill another two to four more exploratory wells just to figure out where you are and what's the best well to get the most pressure from. Because remember this pressure, when this oil comes up, it's natural, right? It isn't until later on you get into what's called like a water injection or something to keep the pressure up. But so it's real, you have to figure out where you are on the reservoir, okay? So this is, this is a tough point. At this point, you're at four to four and a half years. Right. It's a long time. And so now you decide this is where we are. This is what we want. You have to get all your approvals now from your company. You go there and say, hey, we think we're going to be able to produce 500,000 gallons or bat barrels a day for five years. And then, you know, it's really they plan it out for a long time. Because remember, Mike, the minute you start to drill a well, right, the minute you start to remove oil from it, that well is in decline at that point, mm -hmm. right? Each reservoir has a certain amount of oil, right? Right. So, so the minute you start to drill this, which will come into what I'm going to say in a little bit, will, will come come into play. That well starts to decline. So now let's let's get back on track. You know, I'll digress a thousand times because God knows I could talk the paint off the walls, right? <laughs> so, uh, so you really need to determine if this is what you're going to further invest in. I mean, I've never heard of a company. Some of the the big plays and and finance and presidents of the regions might know this. They might say, "Hey, guys, this bid's a loss. We'll cut all loss right now." Usually, uh, it's so well mapped out now. You're not going to get into a situation like like that, right? So. Um, you do this, your company says, yes, go through with it. You're um, regulated, you got to start to get all your regulators in place to approve this, that, and the other thing. Um, further investment, you need to bring your partners on because very few oil companies outright own one platform or one well. It's just too expensive, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because one well, Mike, depending on the output of it, you can have a smaller platform or one of the big boys like Shell has, or, or that are producing 400,000 gallons, uh, uh, I mean, uh, barrels a day, that could be from 50 mil to $400 million a year just to operate that one platform. So it's a huge investment. So there's a lot of investments, a lot of banks, a lot of com com companies that invest in this. So you need to get all of that in line. While this is going in, you start to have your detailed well plan. Because there isn't like just one well you take off the shelf and say, hey, we're going to use this well here. Each well, each time you drill, each well is specifically designed for the well you're drilling. You have to look at the seabed. You have to look at the other wells in the area, what type of pressure, what's going to come up. You know, in the, in the Gulf of Mexico, it's almost all sweet crude, right? Mm -hmm. So now you have to design the well. Like I said, it's not like a one-stop shop. You pull it off the shelf and here it is. You know, the BOP, the blowout preventer is pretty much that way because of some basic things. You have like your annular space with your annular preventer, you know, your blind shear rams, which in case there's an emergency will stop, you know, hopefully stop the flow of oil or hydrocarbon release, um, which is commonly referred to as a well kick, right? And that's when you get into all your drilling mud, but we don't really need to speak about that right now. 
So now you have, you have your well designed and let's say your well is going to go and you're ready to go. Now you have to get a, uh, a rig, a platform built. Right. right. And so this is like build, building a ship. I mean, I don't know of any of the major plays that buy a used one, right? Everything's brand new. They're being built. I know BP had a new one, which I think was built in South Korea and just like a ship, it has sea trials, then it has to be transported here. I mean, it's really, 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 you know. And they they have to build it to their own specifications. It's not just like you you get it off the shelf already made. That's be built. Yeah, it's to not what the like you're going needs. in and buying a car and saying, "Oh yeah, right. I want the cruise control, but not the heat, heated seats." I mean, this mm-hmm. thing is built from the ground up in a ship mm-hmm. shipyard. So, I mean, just your well design alone, and you got to consider, like I said, a lot of things: the data from other wells in the region in that specific area. Um, you have to well pressure, depth, all sorts of this. So that well design alone takes about a year. Then you need to get another rig back out there. But depending on availability, you might have a rig in six weeks. You might have a rig in six months. All right. So now if everything is on track, 100%, we're now at the seven-year mark. All right. So now this is the real crazy thing. The feds just reduce your lease from 10 years to seven years. Right. So what goes on now? Do you have to rebid? on the on the block that you just spent seven years and probably hundreds of millions of dollars invested in what can they keep you from getting that i don't know the specifics of that but that's that's where you see that seven year comes into play now so when all this is done mike you bring your partners on board your regulators approve it all you built your pdq platform drilling and quarter right you get it shipped out of here it's all approved by the coast guard everything's good to go that is usually about a three-year process. So by the time you start from all the way back where I just said, and your first oil starts to flow, you're looking at 10 to 12 years. So why isn't there anybody, is there anybody like, you know, competent in the, uh, any administration that know, that would know all this? I'm not just saying obviously the Biden administration, but I mean, the Trump administration kept it at 10 years. Yeah. So if, you're, if you're taking it, if you're saying it takes 10 to 12, wouldn't yeah. like a 15 year lease be a little bit more sensible? So, I mean, from my end, yes, I believe it would. I think where a good leader come, comes into play, Mike, is this. You ready? There's no president, anyone, unless he was, you know, in charge of Exxon or BP or Shell right. that really right. knows a lot about this, that even knows unless you were a military man knows a lot about the military. So you rely on your experts. You know, Trump was very good at going to the industry experts and saying, okay, what do you need? What, sh- you know, how does this work? You know, your secretary of energy should really be the guy that is the subject matter expert. On right. All of the- I, I was going to say, I was going to yeah. say that. Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I don't, I don't, um, to me, Yes. Right. right. I don't know if you're drilling and it's producing, if they allow you an extension. I'm not sure on that process. Cause like I said, I really wasn't, I'm not an oil guy, but I did learn a lot about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, uh, you know, I did a lot of executive protection for the top executives and you go to these conferences and meetings and you hear people talking about the technology and the problems they're having with the drill ships or whatever the case is. Yeah. So, um, And this is another significant thing, Mike, about the seven-year lease, right? So each well, right? Now, you might have a well like the Macondo well, even though it's related to the oil spill, which was a huge reservoir, 
Mm -hmm. right? Which is probably going to produce for a long time. But let's say on or about 10 years is the lifespan of a well, where it's really going to produce a lot of oil, where you're going to be getting hundreds of thousands of barrels a day for 10 years, right? So think about how this plays in, Mike, right? So you have a well that's going to produce for 10 years. It takes you 10 to 12 years to get another well online. So when this well is starting to end its life, this well is caught up to it and takes the baton from that point. Mm -hmm. So you have this perpetual cycle of production, of exploration. I mean, and technology gets better. You might be able to go back to those old wells and get more. You know, there's a lot of oil in the Gulf of Mexico. You know, it's a naturally occurring thing. I think when I was working there, and I remember this sounding just absurd to me, but something like, I don't remember if it was 30 million, I think it was barrels of oil, or maybe it was 30 million gallons. It was some absurd number naturally seep into the Gulf of Mexico each year. That's how much oil is under pressure there. Wow. But now you have other regulations put in place. You have them change it to a seven-year lease. You know, Biden isn't support, isn't friendly of hydrocarbons or gasoline or oil whatsoever, no. right? So now the reason, one of the reasons the price is going up is, you know, the people that are buying oil and trading oil, they see this. They know the regulations that came out. They know this basically passing of the baton. 10 years, you know, when you sput a well until you produce, then that well is going to go down, but there's another one online. They know that that process is going to be disturbed, Right. So if I'm an oil company, why am I going to put this massive investment? Remember what I said earlier, Mike, just to operate one of the big platforms could be up to $400 million a year, right? I mean, that's, a, that's an exorbitant amount of money. Even one of the smaller ones, $50 million a year. Why do people want to invest in this when they know the federal government is working against you? Or not giving you the tools to, to develop the land, because it is land, it's just beneath the water, that you've, you've bid on. And I understand the sensitivities about hydrocarbons and fuels and wanting to move to greener things. And look, at that's great. Who doesn't want greener things? Who doesn't want clean water and clean air? But you can't, you can't just get rid of one energy source when you don't have an energy source in place, like we right. saw in Texas, you know, the the wind and the solar sounds great, but it, it's not at the point now where it could provide the base load if it snows out and the turbines stop, right? right. So, so we're making this very fast move away from this without something reliable in place. Germany tried this and it backfired on them. So, don't why doesn't Biden just 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 turn the Keystone Pipeline back on? Like Americans are are, are suffering. I mean, not all yeah. Americans, not rich Americans, but it's the middle class, the lower. Like, how can middle class Americans afford? I mean, in New York and New Jersey, where we both live, gas is regular uh, gallon of gas is what three three ninety nine. What is it? More, three, more than that now, now right? Regular? New Jersey, which traditionally had cheaper gas than New New York, is four super unleaded is four seventy five. I think. Yeah, right? I think New York was four forty nine this morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's about four ninety five for super. Yeah. So like his first day in office, he shut the pipeline. Now that was his first executive order to stop construction of of the pipeline. I mean, that's all well and good when we're not in a war, well, I mean, not us, but when Ukraine and Russia aren't in a war mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we want to not buy oil from Russia, 
Then he has the balls to go to Iran, which screams death to America and death to Israel every day. Who just and attacked then, us. Right, who just attacked us in, in Iraq. And they, they uh, just bombed one of our embassies. Mm-hmm. And he goes to Venezuela, who's a dictator, kills his own people, asks him for oil. Then he calls up uh, Saudi Arabia. They say, we're not going to call you back. Then I just found out yesterday that they're not going to accept they're going to start accepting the Chinese yen instead of petrodollars for yes. oil. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, uh, we're amazing. doing well here. We're doing Dude, so Think good. about this. China really wants their money to be the reserve currency of the world. Right. You know, I'm not going to get into the corruptions and the scandals that mm-hmm. people talk about with the Bidens and whoever, with China and Ukraine. Whatever. It's worthless at this point. Right. I mean, right. for this forum right here to speak about it. Right. Um, but look at it. Remember this, China, Russia, Venezuela, Cuba, and Iran are all in a military alliance, Mm -hmm. right? Those cruise missiles, the significance about the attack in Iraq is, I mean, we were rocketed plenty of times. All, I mean, we were actually, uh, there was a lot of Iranian special forces, their Quds force was there, all these devastating EFPs, explosively formed projectiles, which they'll call it an IED, but it's an EFP which is devastating to us, right? All right. came from Iran. These cruise missiles were definitely built. Um, you know, I'm not going to say for certain, but I'm fairly certain that, you know, they were built in cooperation with the Russians who just developed the new cruise missiles. And think about the te- technology. Like, this isn't them on the other side of the Tigris launching, you know, a rocket at us and generally hitting an area inside the green zone or a base. So that made targeted that embassy. They launched this from Iran, Mm -hmm. flew it a few hundred miles into Iraq and hit exactly where they wanted to hit. Correct. Correct. That is significant. This is not an accident. No. Right. It was intentional. Now, you know that they share this, they have this military pact with Cuba and Venezuela. All right. Um, so do they have cruise missiles in Venezuela? I don't know. Can the Russians get them there very quickly? Yes. Of course. Are there Russian military advisors in Venezuela? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, it is, it is the bottom line is they know this is the time they could strike. Right. They, it's like anything else, whatever you say about Trump, this man commanded respect. You know, and you even hear some liberal talk show personalities, right, saying this would never go on with Trump. Trump told Vladimir Putin, if you invade the Ukraine, I'll bomb Moscow. Would he really do that? Probably not. But guess what? Putin wasn't sure. Right. Is he just being Trump and boisterous and wanting to grab a headline and act like a tough guy? Or will he attack me? I mean, you don't know. You didn't know. So you're not going to mess around with somebody when you're not sure of their response. Um, They feel confident enough to do all this now. Um, I don't know what I've really, the Iranian missile attack is out of the news. It was in there. I I didn't even hear one thing about it. I didn't hear. I mean, it was, it was online. I don't really watch the mainstream news anymore, whether it be Fox or CNN. I just don't watch it. I read enough reports and things at work. Um, but it was nowhere no. and it may have been on one of the news channels briefly and within a 12 hour news cycle, it was gone as a military, uh, you know, highly respected military career. Would you consider that an act of war against the U S 
Well, it is an act of war, right? Right. It is, remember, like an embassy or a consulate is considered sovereign U.S. land, mm-hmm. right? That's why you're seeing movies, the thrillers back in the day, the spy thrillers, they're running to get to the embassy. Mm-hmm. And once they cross that threshold, you know, the, the agents or the cops chasing the person can't do anything. Mm-hmm. That would be technically, right, mm-hmm. uh, treaty-wise, the same thing as if they launched a cruise missile and hit a building in Manhattan. It's exactly the same. And how come if they did that, or I don't, I know no Americans were hurt. Um, right. That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you. Yeah. So I heard there were no casualties. Right. Um, I heard some other reasons why I'm, uh, why they, they uh, it probably, thank God it didn't go that way. Um, but, you know, I'll keep it to myself for now. But, dude, this is an act of war. You don't accidentally program a cruise missile, launch it, and hit the building specifically that you want to hit, which is a very, which is an extension of the United States right. by accident. That's like yeah, saying, it's, not, it's, it's, like, not, it's like saying no. the, the uh, terrorist accidentally hit the, the Twin Towers on 9-11 with the plane. Yeah. Just, yeah, look, it's accidentally. And yeah. Al Qaeda said, this is an act of war. You know, right. it was maybe right. we didn't take it seriously. I mean, right. not the Twin Towers. Of course, no, no. that was no. serious. Right, right. No, I, I actually I was down at ground zero for about a year in that right. area. But, you know, they didn't take it when, when Osama bin Laden said, hey, I'm declaring war on the United States. Prior right. to oh, 9-11. Yeah, okay. Prior yeah, to 9-11. The heat right. Heat yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. This guy is in a cave in Afghanistan. Right. But remember, Osama bin Laden was an engineer. I mean, he was educated. In mm-hmm. great schools, he was a very aristocratic family in Saudi Arabia. Arabia. He was very smart. His number two guy uh, was a, a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. I mean, these aren't stupid, stupid folks. Just because they're living in a cave, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? Right. I think that even that even proves the more dedication that they have. They're highly educated, but they can live in these austere conditions, right? And plot a massive attack against us which on that day brought us to our knees, right? right. Uh, you know, and, and this is the problem. I see it in the Ukraine now. People say, oh, the Russian army's a joke. Oh, the hell oh no, no. Like, Guys, they're not a joke. Well, well, right? If it was a joke, the Ukrainians would push them back, no, no, right? No. You have, and if you look at it, uh, Mike, most advances, even our advance on Baghdad, which was tactically brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you hit about 300 miles, I mean, maybe there's more fuel efficient vehicles now, but this is when you really start to get low on gas. You need to refuel. If you're in big gunfights, your ammo's getting depleted, your vehicles start to break down, you're tired because once you're in an assault like that, you really don't sleep. You don't have time to sleep. You may have some time to eat, mm-hmm. right? In the first Gulf War in the diversionary attack, which lasted three days and nights, Uh, Before the main assault, that's when my unit went across and started to attack the Iraqis as part of that feint. Mm -hmm. We were also there to draw their fire. It sounds crazy, but our job was to sit there and get shot at. And for three days and nights, we were attacked with tanks, artillery. Um, Getting hit with artillery is very disturbing. Seeing a tank a few thousand meters away from you coming in at you is very disturbing. It's very, uh, you know, intense. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and a guy shooting at you with an AK is very intense. But, I can imagine. You know, I mean, so in those three days, I don't really recall sleeping at all. I remember sleeping a little bit here and there. 
Mm-hmm. Because even at night, if there isn't an infantry attack, they're hitting you with artillery all night and you have to keep move, moving because they're trying to zero it in on you. You know, and the Iraqis really, you know, the Gulf Wars kind of glossed over, but the Iraqis fought, they fought hard. They had very good artillery. Their artillery actually outranged ours at that point in time. And they attacked. But, you know, we are, you know, I'm going to brag a little bit, especially the Marines, which is awesome, right? And we shut their communications down. They tried to shut ours down. We, we hit them. You know, we had a lot of air support. The air support is critical, especially in the mission of the Marine Corps, this symphony of air and ground, you know, you know coordinating your artillery, your ground assault, your airstrikes. It's, you know, once again, everyone thinks it's easy. It's not as easy as it looks. It's not like there's a bunch of guys running online with shooting artillery shells in front of you and some jet flying over going, oh, there, there they are. It's very coordinated. Um, and look, I think that uh, did the advance go as fast as the Russians wanted to? No. But you have people defending where they live. They didn't trust me from a guy who spent four years in Iraq in an urban environment. So I've been in two, three different battlefields. I've been in a pitched World War II type battle. Here's the line. We're on this side, they're on that side. They shoot their artillery, we shoot our artillery. We go forward, they push us back. We go forward, we push them back. You know, classic World War II or what we anticipated a Cold War, World War II battle, uh, World War III battlefield would look like in Europe. Mm -hmm. And then I've been in an insurgency in Iraq where they might be hiding in a building. They're putting IEDs and dogs, you know. Uh, They're throwing children in front of your cars to get you to stop. Mm-hmm. They're shooting at you from the sewer. It's very difficult. An urban environment is very challenging. You don't know who's who, right? In Iraq, that was very difficult. They intentionally put targets out there, kids and women and everything to throw you off. Anything could be an IED. I'll show you some pictures sometime. It looks like a rock on the side of a road and it's a 155 artillery shell. I mean, and that's absolutely going to ruin your day. Right. So, um, I mean, the Russians are and the Russians, you know, the United States goes out of its way to the point where we are put in more uh, more, in a more dangerous position to avoid civilian casualties. Mm -hmm. Russians don't have that philosophy. No, the Russians will bomb a hospital. Now, look at. In warfare, Mike, and this is a problem in Iraq, you're not allowed to shoot at a mosque, you're not allowed to bomb a mosque. Well, all the Al-Qaeda insurgents are in that mosque shooting at me, right? I'm not allowed to shoot back. So at some point, the rules change where at what point in time is that no longer a mosque or a hospital, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they have people shooting at me from there and pack it full of kids knowing we're going to drop a bomb, right? And then they go on the media. And of course, the media in the United States played right along with them. I would never saw anything like this where our own media was against us, right? Oh, my God, look at this dead kid and look at this. Well, they didn't tell you that that kid was just throwing grenades at the soldiers, right? Mm -hmm. Well, look at this innocent guy that was shot. Well, he walked up. I have a video of it where they threw these grenades at this vehicle, but they didn't know there was a vehicle about a hundred yards behind them that saw, saw them. They actually, you know, engaged them, captured two of them. I mean, but if you just go and look at, it was at the time Al Jazeera, even us reporters, Oh, this unarmed guy was shot. Well, he wasn't unarmed. He just threw a bomb at me, you know, a grenade or set a bomb off or was shooting at me, you know? Um, 
And you got to give the American Army and Marines uh, service people a lot of credit, dude. There was a lot of times they would do that and drop their guns and put up their hands and they wouldn't be engaged. I mean, that's a lot of discipline. The Russians don't feel that way. The Russians will carpet bomb a town. The Russians will rocket a town. You're shooting at me from it. That means you're part of the resistance. Mm-hmm. We're going to we're going to we are going to break your will to fight. The Russians do not care about civilian ca- casualties at all. I, I, uh, I, uh, so that's what I was, obviously, that's what I'm telling people. I mean, um, the Russian army, they, they will, they have fought on their land, their land, their homeland. They, they, you know, the difference between them and Afghanistan and, uh, the Afghanistan people and the Iraqi people, yeah. uh, they will, uh, the Russians will come to America. They're not, they're not afraid. They have submarines, they have an air force, yeah. you know, if they have to, they will come here, you know. Afghanis, the Afghanis don't have an air force. ISIS doesn't have an air force. Al Qaeda doesn't have an air force. Uh, Iraq, their Iraq has an air force, but not the, um, you know, the insurgents. Not a strategic air force. Yeah, not a strategic air force. But uh, you know, if we go to war with to Russia, Vladimir Putin will will send them here. You know, so we we don't. Yeah. We, I mean, people don't understand that all these warmongering Democrats and Republicans alike. Yeah. You want to you want to fuck with Vladimir Putin. I mean, he's, he will send Russian military here. Then I tell everybody this, you know, everybody, my, this is a problem we have. We underestimate our enemies, right? And it's mirroring. I don't know if that's an actual phrase. I use it. And it's very common today in politics and with a lot of, um, I don't want to say woke stuff, but this, and look, I like New York better in a way. Now, when I was a kid in the seventies and eighties, it was very tough. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of bullies, a lot of crime. Mm-hmm. Very tough place. I like the fact that everybody kind of gets along now, right? It's a good thing. I, I, I don't, with my background, a lot of people think I'd be the first to advocate violence. I don't advocate violence at all. I always tell everybody, if somebody's giving you a hard time, disengage, walk away. It doesn't mean you're not a man. It doesn't mean you're not tough. Why engage in that, right? I always feel war should be the, I've seen war up close the, uh, quite a few times in my life. And just a little footnote, Mike, my family has been serving in the military and or the government since 1914. The banana wars, the Haiti incursion, World War I, World War II, right? Uh, I mean, up until now, in fact, there's a member of my family, two of them that are in active duty military as we speak, right? So, you know, they want to go to war, but there's an old saying, you know, a lot of people, you know, call for war, but refuse to strap on the armor. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and he's like, yeah, we should go there and we should do this and we should do that. And my first question was define we. Who's we? Do you have a mouse in your pocket? What's this we you're talking about? And he goes, well, you know, us. I go, who's us? Are you going to go? I mean, you sound so motivated for us to go to war. You should go down to the recruiting station and sign up and join. And he goes, oh, well, you know, I didn't mean me. I go, oh, why not? Oh, oh, why not, dude? I said, dude, you know, you're 26 years old. You're on prime fight. I deployed until I was 39 years old. I have friends of mine and Marines and they're special forces now. They were deployed 10, 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. You're 26 years old, dude. You're a stud. Mm-hmm. You should go. Oh, yeah. well, yeah. Then I think there should be some sort of law now that if you're a Congress per- per- person and you vote yes for war, you go. Someone in your family or you, if you're of military age, have to go. Absolutely. And you got to be upfront with the grunts. Absolutely. I'm not talking about, you know, sitting back in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia and I'm somewhere in Kuwait no. that I didn't bathe 
for 62 days. I ate MREs for 82 days. We're getting rocketed, tank attack, right? It's tough conditions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, everyone's ready to go. But look, at, I don't agree with what Putin did, but look no. at Mike. He is, you know, he is a smart, savvy guy, okay? I think he made some mistakes in what look i don't agree let me get that right i don't agree with him invading the ukraine no no one agrees with him invading the ukraine right? nobody does but, but mike he is a former high-ranking kgb officer from the cold war this is right out of the cold war i mean and everyone's walking around like this is the first time this stuff went on i mean in the cold war every day we thought we'd get nuked we thought the russians were going to blow us up and mm -hmm. mutually assure this destruction look at only Putin knows what Putin is thinking. Only Putin knows what his real end game is, where he wants to end up. I thought initially he'd do an invasion, take over that whole peninsula. You know, he annexed the Crimea, take over that part of the South, mm -hmm. come in from the top, take over that and stop and say, all right, guys, I'm done. Right. To make his point. Because remember, Mike, slowly but surely we're encircling him with NATO. Why do we but, want Ukraine and Georgia? Exactly. We, we talked about this the other day. This all yeah. started in 2008 with Obama yeah. when he was yeah. teasing he was teasing Ukraine and NATO, and he was already pissing off Putin. And then yeah. that's when he started with this whole, all right, you want to put Ukraine in NATO? Then uh, I'm going to invade them. And then, you know, he, he was teasing. And then Crimea under yeah. Obama. And then Trump yeah. came and he told him, no, you're no. not, you're not, you're not messing around. And then now you got Biden and he went right in. He literally walked right into Ukraine. Yeah. And we knew it was coming. We knew. And, and, and you, you got to think about this. Let's go back to the cold war days, the Warsaw pact, right. Mm -hmm. Which was like the counter to NATO. Imagine if Mexico joined the Warsaw pact mm -hmm. or even right now joined this alliance of China and Russia and Cuba, it'd be a big concern. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to remember, you know, you know, Putin is of the age where his parents and grandparents were talking about when the Germans invaded him. Right. Right. It's not out of his memory what went on. Do I think that a lot of the things he was? No. You know, then like I say, I'm not. But look, you have Latvia, Poland. They wanted to join NATO. He's being surrounded. Right. We got our ally, Japan, on the other side of him. Mm -hmm. Right. Um you know, our influences are, well, we had an influence in Afghanistan, our influence in the Middle East. I don't agree with him. I don't think he should have invaded. Uh, he probably could have made some sort of money or gas fuel deal just to get that part of, of northern Ukraine. I mean, this president, and once again, I don't, I, I, I am torn between a lot of things. I, I don't believe all the reports coming out of Ukraine. I don't believe everything we're saying. I don't believe everything... The Russians are saying, uh, like I said, once again, I can't, I want, I'm saying it a dozen times because I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. I do not support Putin. I do not support the invasion no. of the Ukraine. I do not support him annexing the Crimea. All right. Um, this is the same reason we went to Kuwait in 91, right? 99, 1991. Saddam was said, oh, they owe me money. They're slant drilling and stealing my oil. He invaded them. Okay. No, you can't do that. We went there and we pushed them out. Um, once again, Russia, little different story. Do I think our military could defeat him? If you let the military do what they do best? Yes. 
you know. Um, now, but we woke, real, I don't know about this new woke military with pronouns and all that stuff. It's very difficult. The no offense, or, you know. Any of my friends that could get out and retire right now are leaving. I and heard. they can't leave fast enough. I heard. But it's even some things like, you know, like the military should not be a social experiment. No. We are there to protect our borders, to protect us, our citizens. War is brutal. War is nasty. War is not a pleasant thing. Like I said, Mike, I've seen it up close many a times. Many people in my family have seen it up close. And, uh, you know, we're trying to say, once again, the pronouns, the this, the that, the other thing. You know, what you do in civilian life, you do. The military has a very specific mission. And when we roll into combat, I need to make sure that you are highly trained, that my drill instructor wasn't worried about offending me, mm-hmm. all right, because the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians don't care about offending you. No. They want to kill you. Correct. They want to end our way of life. All right. And it takes a lot of rough people in rough conditions to stop that. And, uh, you know, look at everyone could turn around and make all the memes about the Russian army not being good and not being tough. Yet I don't see him running over there to fight them. Uh, you know, that's what I, I there's a lot of keyboard warriors, as I say. And yeah. um, I think the whole thing that's kind of making me angry about this whole uh ukraine and russian conflict is that one it's not our war that's that's number one and we're spending quite a lot of money that we oh, yeah. don't have you know we don't have this money we just gave them another 800 million dollars literally today today because uh Zelensky came on on the tv and cried for a little bit yeah. And, you know, I think this is like some kind of Ponzi scheme. I, yeah, I, like, it, I, I don't understand. Like, like, I'd like, like to see the accounting for that. Who's no, going to order that money? Like crazy. Like, where's the money going? Like, who's getting it? How are they spending it? Oh, is it military aid? Now, we're saying we can't directly give him arms. Okay. Um, I'd like to see how this is going to be used. Like, why, why can't like a plane, I, I don't know, if why can't just a military... Uh, you know, what's the transporting plane like a like a military like a c-130 or yeah c-5. like like a c yeah. c-130 just going to poland drop the stuff for him they come get it and we leave no we have to give him 800 million dollars that we don't have our board is not even is not even yeah. uh secured who cares you about know, ukraine's border who gives like i was talking about this the other day and look i i don't um you know i have some friends of mine and my brother even too they struggle with student loan debt right Right. I'm not for the government taking over the industry. No. Right. But when people were talking about giving relief, you know, because it's it's a it is like I really believe a lot of these student loans, right, are predatory loans. If I went to right. the DA and said, look what they did to me when I was buying my house, or they did this, it'd probably be predatory lend lend lending. I, I don't even know if yeah. that's prosecutable, but you understand what I'm saying. Right. It would right. be it's like a payday uh, loan. You know, it's like yeah. a payday loan, right? Right. Right. But yet you could do it to students. So they're already starting out with this incredible amount of debt. And like I said, I don't agree with the feds taking over anything because they already have their hands in too much that they're not supposed to be in. But they tell these students, sorry, we have no relief for you. That yeah. billion dollars that is out there in student loan debt, it's on you guys. Sorry, you did it. But yet when it's something like this, I mean, Congress just gave themselves a 21% raise. You want to know the true inflation rate? Look at that. How does... How does even politically, optically, see, would that even be a good move right now? 
Mm -hmm. is the whole point, Mike. They don't care anymore. They don't They're care. just blatant about it. I have <laughs> friends in con Congress, and I don't know if they all accepted the raise. I know they probably can't say no. They may have voted yes and no. I don't know. I didn't look yet. Um, I know some folks, um, I think when Chuck Schumer got the raise the last time, he donated that amount of money of the raise to- Oh, wow. Well, his 40 whatever. years in government, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's not going to miss his 40 grand or whatever. Yeah, that's, that. yeah. I mean, but you know, I mean- I, That doesn't make like, me feel uh, good, honestly. Like, and this all goes back to the oil. We are in, in national crisis right now. We are on the brink of war. We have a new military alliance specifically to counter the, and two major, three major players in it. China, Russia, Iran. Mm -hmm. Everybody forgets about Iran, right? Iran is a big cyber player. They, we, they've now proven to have ballistic missiles that could reach nuclear. Far nuclear. They've been developing it. You know, during the Obama administration, uh, we gave our uranium, I think it was, to Russia. I'm still trying to figure that deal out, which they sold to Iran. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm sitting here and I'm like, am they I make it up? Wait, seasons? wait, hold on. The best is when we have to get the oil. We have to get it from Iran and still go through Russia and China to broker the deal. Yeah. What? what? And Venezuela. <laughs> well, you know what you could do? You can't make See, this up. <laughs> See, there are these two little places I'm oh, going to tell you about. God. They're called Texas and Louisiana. Right. right. And they could start getting the numbers back. It's a national emergency. Biden should tell his people, look, it, I know I signed on to the new green deal. Mm -hmm. Right. But look at guys. We are in a crisis. And now, I don't know, is the Fed going to raise the interest rate? I don't know. If you look at what's going on with him, it mm -hmm. is almost a mirror of what went, what went on in Jimmy Carter's administration. Right. That's and then all oil producing states when Reagan came in and then through the 90s had to build it all back. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And now they're shutting it all down again. This has all been tried. But instead of this time of us relying on Middle Eastern oil, mm -hmm. we're relying on Russian oil. Little fact, like once I said, my numbers are a little off. I don't have notes in front of me. I think we import on or about 600,000 barrels of oil a day from Russia, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The Keystone Pipeline, I think, was estimated was going to transport 830,000 barrels a day. So we could have just started buying the Canadian oil uh, instead of from Russia. Yeah. You know, was, the guy's already sitting on 600 billion in assets. China's any... Any uh, like uh, credit card systems we shut down, mm -hmm. China said, well, use, use ours. Right, right. right. And the guys just, you know, I, I don't, I can't. Now, once again, I'm speaking from what I know. Right. I don't know. Like I said, like Trump said at one time, thank God you don't have to know what I know. <laughs> right? right. Maybe there's something else going on. We don't know about. Like, like but, I said to you, like I said to you the other day, Mike, if you think it's bad now, if there's new, no new wells online coming right. online that right. are going to replace these wells in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see nine to $10 a gallon of gas. I told you the other day, Putin does not care about these sanctions on him. He does not care. He's going to get paid from China, Iran, Venezuela. Yeah. There's all these countries are still buying oil from him. You think he gives a shit if we don't yeah. buy oil from him? He does not care. He doesn't care. He's laughing at us right now. He's literally laughing at us. It's a joke. You want to know the funniest thing about this whole thing? They still haven't taken his Twitter account down. I, I, but, no, it's great. I, it's great. He's he's killing children. He's killing pregnant women. He's killing innocent people. All Trump said was mean tweets. 
but Putin still has a Twitter account and he's a war criminal. He's a war yeah. criminal. He's, he's a, a war legitimate criminal. war criminal. And then he put sanctions against specific people in the United States. I saw States. that. 13, 13 people. Yeah. yeah I all, think, all Democrats. Uh, Secretary said, well, I'm not planning on going to Russia soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not. And we don't have bank accounts there. Well, I hope you don't. I hope but, not. You know, <laughs> why would he say that then? I mean, oh, I'm not a conspiracy God. theorist, but dude, look at Look, I, like I said, I don't agree with the guy, but Putin, no. you know, you can't dismiss him as being stupid. He's a smart guy and no. he's, he knows exactly how to play this. This is like, uh, like I said, a page out of the Cold mm -hmm. War when I was in high school. He knows what he wants. He knows where he's going to end. And look, at think about our inflation is high and it all goes back to fossil fuels. In the end, we're a petroleum-based economy. Whether you agree with it or not. See, and this is where a lot of people get mad at me. Oh, Joe, that's because you worked there and blah, 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 blah. And you're, they brainwashed you. Yes, they sat me in the room and with the little twirly thing, oil is good. No, right. look at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Petroleum-based products, right? There's, it's everything. Plastics, cosmetics. It's in everything. Think about it. That field that your organic organic fruit is being grown in is being plowed by a tractor or fertilized by a tractor Correct. those organic blueberries are going in an 18 wheel and being driven to the market run right? on gas not electric so, <laughs> when all well when now that 18 wheel is now costing three or four hundred dollars to fill up one of his tanks Dude, that price is going to roll onto your food. He's mm -hmm. going to charge the, the, they have to pay him more. He pays more for fuel. I don't need to explain it to you. No, Most people out there should know this. If the, if the, if the machines that run the farm, including electricity cost more, then they're going to charge more. Right. And, and, and everyone goes, well, go to batteries. Look, I'm all for the electric car. And we spoke about this earlier. I feel if they were developing the automobile for the first time right now, they'd probably look at electric. But remember, Mike, batteries leave a carbon footprint too. Right. So you know, to create one battery, I think for an EV, you have to move about 500,000 pounds of earth, right? Because you have to mine the copper, the right. lithium, the cobalt. There's other chemicals and minerals. I forget all of them involved in that. Oh, oh but but jokester, jokester, jokesters. They don't care. They don't care yeah. as long as it's not. I mean, possible. have you ever seen an open pit mine? They they don't care about that. They don't. Or that even doesn't a exist. Picture of an open pit they, they, mine. It doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. As right. long as it's not fossil and, fuels. And, and here's care. and here's the little thing. So the more you move away from oil, uh, you know, and I believe most of our electric plants are fueled by coal. Oh, right. And this is what people misunderstand. Right? Look, like I said, I'm all for it. I have an electric scooter. I try, I use that to go to a grocery store now. I don't drive. And thank God, because I, I have a 20 gallon tank in my car, right? Mm -hmm. I refuse to buy a new car. It's like nine years old or whatever, but it cost me a hundred dollars to fill it up. I mm -hmm. plug it in. I charge my battery. So yes, there's less emissions there, but think about this. Most of our electric, if I recall, I just read this recently, are cold fired plants. Right. Maybe some natural gas. I, Texas had a lot of that. So these open pit mines are destroying the earth. Think about that. To make a 4,000 pound battery that goes in a car, you have to move about 500,000 pounds of earth to get the materials out, right? I mean, it's a, it's it really is. And, and they go, well, you know, the battery, you won't need gas. Well, remember, a battery stores energy. It doesn't produce it. Oil and gas produce the energy, mm -hmm. right? 
the battery stores the energy, which then powers the vehicle. So you still gonna, now, like, I understand the long-term plan. Well, if everybody has EVs, you don't need as much oil and gas to fuel the power plants or to fuel the cars. And there's no emissions from the cars. It's just the emission from the power plant. I haven't seen any studies on that. Like I said, I'm not an expert at this. Want clean water, want clean air. I'm an environmentalist in the sense of, I even think here in Jersey City, they're building too much, right? They're putting all these building ups now. There's not one new park. There's mm-hmm. not one new school. You want, people, you want people to stay here. I'm looking mm-hmm. right out my window right here. And this was in Austria. It was a, it was a concrete plant. And the rest of the property was just trees and there was rabbits, there were hawks. Every year, the, uh, you know, which people can't stand, the geese would fly in here. Mm-hmm. And this is where they would bed down and hatch their eggs. And you would see the hatchlings running all around here. Now, it's, I think it's gross, right? So I'm not, I'm not that guy. I think that we need to have a lot of green space. I think we have a lot of parks. I think we should have a lot of outdoor activities. I think that they have to say, okay, look it. We understand the need to create jobs and the tax base, but if we don't build schools, everyone's going to move away from here. If we don't have green space, children aren't going to be able to run around and play and see rabbits and birds and things. So I'm all for that, but I also live in reality, Mike, you know? Right. Oh, listen, my famous saying to people is, yeah. you live in Candyland. Yeah. <laughs> And with that, Joe, like you live in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, I, I imagine, live in the, imagine I, walking down the street in Brooklyn, yeah. and, uh, you know. And I live in the I live in the real world. I live in the real world, and I know yeah. you do too. And listen, with that, Joe, you gave me a lot of time. You gave me yeah. so much knowledge. This is gonna. This is a great episode. Um, now, since you're, a, are you a Jersey resident? Now you're a Jersey resident, right? Yeah. You're gonna I'm run for politics in New Jersey. I know you tried New York uh, once. You know. My, I ran for office once and right. you really have to be committed. The campaign, being a candidate is a full-time thing mm-hmm. and being an elected official is a full-time thing. I love to serve. I love to help. Uh, you know, here's the funny thing. You know, I was a registered Democrat for like 23 years. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know at this point in my life, if I'm willing to really jump back into that and have to deal with the day-to-day workings of politics. It really is a commitment. I've committed my life to service. I mean, I'm still in service. I still work for a government agency. Right. Um, so uh, it's tough. I was offered once or twice to run here mm-hmm. in Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, no. I was asked if I was moving back to Staten Island, if I run for office there. I, I never say no, but not right now. Well, listen, Joe, I know you personally, and I know you do plenty for the community and for your friends, and uh, that's enough for me. So thank you, Joe. I like to sit home and play my Xbox at night, Mike. I came in first place last night in Cold War, so I'm very happy. Well, I'm going to send you my username. We could play Xbox last night. Oh, definitely, because we need a fourth player. Wait, so so, so, wait, I got to tell you a funny story before we're done. I was literally just talking to a girl for two days, and I told her, um, I'm going to play Xbox with my brother for one hour. I literally play one hour a week. She goes, I can't talk to you anymore because uh, I don't talk to guys who play video games too much. Well, you know what? I look at it like this. If you have a minute, <laughs> one hour a week, it, one hour right? a week, literally. So I, I look at it back in the old days or even some of my friends now you used to have a poker night yeah. or you met down at the bar and you had pool night. You shoot yeah. pool, you play cards, you do whatever. A lot of that doesn't go on anymore. Where right. do you socialize? You socialize online. 
Oh. Right. So I, how often does this person scroll Instagram? Correct. Or, That's what everyone says. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. That's literally but what everybody says. I am not in my, uh, my, I'm very clear about this. Tuesday night is my poker night most of the time. Mm -hmm. And my brother and the other man, member of our team got on about 830. Mm -hmm. And I legit went to bed at 3 a.m. Wow. I won't play that long with you, but I, I will yeah. play. I'll play. And we went in and we kept going in. We kept coming in second place, second place, second place. And we had to get a first place. And we wound up going in third, first place three times. I did not want to stay up that late, but I was committed, as you know, I am to my squad. You and, are. Uh, now, if it was a, uh, a school night, I would have been in bed by 11 or 10. Correct. But, you know, it was, look, it's a nice release. It's fantasy land, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, but yeah, send me it and we'll definitely be on there. Love it. All right, Joe. Thank you, man. All right. Appreciate it.